who will be the next you? This is the same question that I posed to you all this past summer. Who will be the next you? Now, the goal of this question was not to, to ask you to go out and, and produce carbon copies of yourselves, or, or it, wasn't, it wasn't for you to conform others uh, to your own personalities, tendencies, or interests. No, no, the goal of this question was to get you to think about what it would look like to see our gospel witness continue to the next generation and to those following. And by gospel witness, I mean the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and he resurrected, and is now at the right hand of the Father. We want to see that continue and continue in the next generation. The truth is, the Lord could use whatever he chooses to save someone. But the reality is that he chose people as his means for the advancement of the gospel. You see, this question should motivate you and I to be thinking to ourselves, man, how will I multiply my life in such a way so that others come to Jesus, even some that I may never get to meet? We need to have that kind of long-term vision when it comes to the gospel message, don't we? Look, look, your gospel witness to one individual can spur on a gospel witness to the nations. It's amazing to see that Jesus' own witness to his disciples produced a cataclysmic movement that is still happening over 2,000 years later. And it's because his disciples took that question seriously. Who will be the next you? Brothers and sisters, gospel witness continues because people like you and I deciding to invest in the next person. And for Youth Sunday, into the next generation. So my question for you all this morning, New Direction, is, of course, who will be the next you? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? A co-worker? For our youth, a classmate? A teammate? Or, or, or is it your neighbor? What's keeping you from sharing the news that changes lives? The very news that changed your life? I think Mark does an incredible job in his gospel with showing Jesus as the ultimate model for the advancement of the gospel. Almost immediately after Jesus had been baptized, he showed us that his mission was to be committed to the Great Commission. Our Savior himself committed himself to sharing the good news. So how much more should we be committed to sharing the same mission? So, y'all, for this morning, here's the overarching point for our time this morning. Prayer and evangelism, right? Sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ, what I call the, the forgotten disciplines. I think we tend to put evangelism on the, on the wayside, and, and often we don't pray enough either. So prayer and evangelism, the, the, the forgotten disciplines, the, the spiritual disciplines that we seek to neglect at times, are the means in the end for the Christian life. To further explore this point, I want, to take, uh, I want us to take a look at what may be a familiar passage to some of you. I mean, we just read it, but I want to turn to it one more, one more time. But uh, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, once more. I think this, this cut off, too. I'm not sure. Oh, it's on now. Oh, okay. We lit. We lit. All right. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, the book of Colossians is in the New Testament, so towards the back of your Bibles right after the book of Philippians and right before 1 Thessalonians. So before we dive into this passage, though, I want to give us some brief context. I think context is important, right? Amen. Uh, the letter to the church at Colossae is known to be one of the Apostle Paul's prison letters, along with the book of Philemon, Philippians, and Ephesians. 
Uh, it appears that Paul wrote this book during his first time being in prison, prison in Rome. This letter was to address the false teaching that was infiltrating the church. And in order to address this, he pointed, to, he pointed his readers to the supremacy of Christ. Typical of Paul, in the first two chapters of this letter, Paul addresses our orthodoxy, what we should know about Christ. And in the last two chapters, he addresses our orthopraxy, how we should, should live given what we know about Christ. So, so he begins this letter by giving thanks to the church of Colossae. He says, man, we always thank God and the Father uh, and, and our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Then goes on to let them know that he hadn't stopped praying for them. And then Paul takes some time to, to talk about the supremacy of Christ. He says, man, all things have been created in and through and, and for him. And then shares a little bit about his ministry. For, for I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you. And he, can, he continues in this letter. By addressing the false teachings that were corrupting the church, he says things like, be careful that, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. And, and from there, he talks about what the Christian life should look like. Put away anger, wrath, malice, and slander. And then Paul begins to close out his letter by briefly speaking on how Christians are to conduct themselves in certain roles, such as husband and wife. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives, and don't be bitter to them. And now... We arrive at a passage where Paul is now addressing the conduct of a Christian. He says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So y'all, for our time this morning, I'm, I'm going to be quick, but I, I have three points for us to, to, this, to consider as we navigate through this passage. Point number one, prayer must not be performative. Prayer performative. You see this is verses one through two. Uh, point number two, intercession initiates profession. Intercession, interceding on behalf of others in prayer, initiates professions of faith. You see that in verses 3 through 4. And then last, from verses 5 through 6, evangelism is an embodied effort. Evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus, isn't just about your mouth. It's also about uh, how you behave on behalf of others. So evangelism is an embodied effort. So point number one, not be performative. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. First, we see here that the Apostle Paul is imploring the church of, of Colossae to, to devote themselves to the act of prayer. But not only that, he implores them once more to be alert when they pray, while also making sure to give thanks while praying. This phrase, devote yourselves, is used a total of 10 times in the New Testament. The word devote here is often translated to mean to continue steadily or steadfastly. And in the Greek, the word continue in this context means courageously persistent, to hold fast and not let go. So, so ultimately, church, Paul is saying that you and I, along with the saints of Colossae, must give our entire selves over to pray fervently, persistently, and earnestly. We, we must hold fast to our prayer life and not let go. He, he reminds us that prayer is not to be done on occasion, but in every waking moment that we get, we should be yearning to pray. Paul also reminds us to stay alert while we pray. 
staying alert or, or being constantly watchful in our prayers helps us to, to be sensitive to the needs of others while praying. Praying like this requires us to be good listeners, not falling asleep, not closing our eyes and not really listening to the person. We must be good listeners as other people are, are praying so that we could, be, we could be thinking about and being watchful and be good discerners of what they need prayer for. Praying this way also helps us not to be kind of ambiguous or, or distracted or emotionless or careless during our prayers. We don't, we don't want to be mechanical with our prayers. I, I know you, I, know, I, I mean, I've done this before, just kind of, man, I'm going to pray the same prayer every night. No, I mean, that's not, that's not what he's calling us to here. And we ought to have this, this type of prayer life, the, the, the non-mechanical prayer life with Thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, a thankful prayer life is a zealous prayer life. The more you're thankful for what the Lord has done, the more you desire to pray. I think Paul knew that the more that we give thanks to God for what he's done in our lives, the more we delight in praying to him. I, I think he, he may have also known that the more that we give thanks uh, for what he's done in our lives, the less we are prone to discouragement. Um, you know, I mean, everybody has a tough week. Everybody have has tough, tough weeks, with plural, tough weeks, uh, tough days as well. Um, and I don't know if you've done this before, but as I, you know, come in the house, uh, you know, I try to put the key in the door, the key, the key drops on the ground. You're like, man, this is, this is the last thing that's going to set me off. That's the last, you know, you already done dropped coffee on your shirt and everything. Um, so you get in the house, you're like, man, this is crazy. So you finally in the house, but you start thinking about, man, all that the Lord has done. Lord, I thank you for waking me up in the morning. Lord, I thank you for clothes on my back and food on the table. Lord, I thank you for keeping me in my right mind. Lord, I thank you for what you provided for me today. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done in my life. As you do that, <laughs> the more you desire to delight in him in prayer. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to tell you here today, man. Delight in the Lord in prayer by giving thanks in prayer. So many times we want to ask the Lord for things without thanking him for the things that he's already done. And, you know, also the way that Paul describes prayer in verse 2 should be habit-like for us. I think, uh, I think a pastor by the name of John O. does a wonderful job at describing what prayer should be like for us in his book titled Prayer. He says this, prayer is oxygen for the Christian. You see, like oxygen, we desperately need prayer. And just like how we breathe in oxygen, prayer should be like second nature to us. Notice also, Paul doesn't ask the church to pray, nor does he suggest it. Rather, Paul tells them to devote yourselves to prayer. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's something that we ought to do. Brothers and sisters, having a consistent prayer life is not an option for us. If you are a Christian then you are expected to pray. Yeah. Simple as that. And if your prayer life is inconsistent, it will show. Um, Y'all, I'm a LeBron fan. Sorry for those who are not LeBron fans out there, but that's my guy. Since 2003, you know, the head being LeBron with the crazy hairline. Um, but that's my, that's my guy, man. So LeBron, I don't know if you know this, but LeBron spends almost a million dollars on his body to keep his body right, right? So, I mean... And in the offseason, I mean, he's doing all he, does, he needs to do. He eats right, gets his body prepared. And that's why at 38 years old, he's still hoping today. All right? So LeBron does what he needs to do offseason and in season. Now, on the other hand, somebody like Zion Williamson, that's my guy too. But every year, he gets injured. So that's why he's not on my fantasy team. But uh, we're going to keep going. The difference between a Zion and LeBron. LeBron 
takes care of his body. When he's off season, Zion Williamson doesn't. He in, you know, what's, what's down in New Orleans? Beignets and all that good stuff. And then he comes back to the season expected to play the way that, you know, the way that LeBron does. And all I'm trying to say is that we can expect to pray if we're not praying by ourselves behind closed doors. We cannot be performative with our prayer life. Zion tries to be performative, and he never finishes the season. LeBron does the work off the court and on the court, and still at 38, he's playing basketball. In the same way, your personal prayer life will reflect your public prayer life. No matter how much you try to over-spiritualize your prayers, no matter how, what fancy words you try to conjure up, and no matter how long you pray, a prayerless life will show. And even if you happen to successfully convince those around you that you are this kind of incredible prayer warrior, what really matters is what the Lord knows. And he's not impressed at all. But, you know, this is, what, well, this is what Christ says. He says, when you babble, don't, I mean, so when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Since they, they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things that you need when you ask him. And just another quick note on the prayer warrior piece. I know that many of us, we love to label certain individuals with the title of prayer warrior. In fact, there's some of you that are thinking about somebody right now that you know they don't play no kind, no, no kind of games when it comes to praying. I, I tell you right now, my, my wife is a, is a oh, not old, I thought she was right there. My wife is a, is a phenomenal prayer warrior, uh, as well as my mom and my dad. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I'm thinking about Brittany. You know, sometimes Brittany and I are just sitting in bed. And she'll be just kind of just staring with her eyes open, this glazed look. And I'm like, you all right? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, and she's like, hey, I'm good. I'm just praying over Micah right now. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So, but, but, but in all seriousness, you know, all seriousness, I truly admire her for it. Uh, and although I admire her, I'm often convicted. Now, new direction, the truth is that we should all be prayer warriors. I, I should not, it should not be rare for us to know someone that prays often. We should not only be praying when somebody asks us to pray or only during a prayer meeting. We should not just be, we should not be tensing up or trying to not be seen or, or, or even in complete silence when somebody asks if someone from the group can pray. Uh, we, we, we should all be ready with our hand up, eager to go before the throne of God. Yeah. A prayerful life should be the norm amongst us. Yeah. Every Christian ought to be a prayer warrior. Yeah. Our, our prayer life must not be performative. But in order for us to grow in our prayer life, I think it's important to list a few reasons as to, as to why we don't pray. I got four reasons for us. There, there might be some other ones, but these are my four. Uh, reason number one, a small view of God. Small view of God. Some of us, some of us don't think of God highly. Uh, there, may, you know, there may have been a season in your life that's been tough and you've been praying to the Lord over and over again. And that, is, that, that season has taught you to think that God isn't good. And so we diminish him. We're like, man, God ain't doing this. I'm going to just do it myself. We have a small view of God forgetting that he's the God of the universe, that he's El Roi, that he, he sees all things. That's the first reason. The second reason is a small view of salvation. I think some of us forgot where we came from. Some of us forgot that he, t- he took us out of darkness and put us in his marvelous light. Some of us forgot that he, he changes a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Some of us has forgotten where we came from. We came from filth, and, and we came from, from, from a, 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 a life uh, riddled with sin, but now we stand in his marvelous light with his son. That's, 
the salvation. That's the goodness of God, and that's a reason why we often don't pray, because we have a small view of salvation. I think another reason is that we have a small view of spiritual warfare. I think at times we forget that we have an adversary that does not want us to pray. We, we have, uh, I think Ephesians 6, that we, have, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of the darkness. So man, a, a small view of spiritual warfare causes us not to pray. This is what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, a believer who is outfitted with the full armor of God, but refuses to pray like a frontline soldier, outfitted with the best weapons, technology, and protective gear, but has no communication with his command authority, he won't last long. He won't last long. Last reason, a big view of you. A big view of you. Some of y'all think y'all too, <laughs> too, y'all, y'all think y'all too strong for your own good. Some of y'all, I mean, y'all don't do it consciously, but you think, man, I could do this myself. I don't really need God. I can, I can work to this thing. I can, I can do as much work as I can to be able to, to get this thing that I want. No, 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 no. Man, you are created by the God of the universe. He's the only one that could get it done. So a big view of you. Here, here are four quick ways, you know, if you're thinking, man, how can I grow in my prayer life? Four quick ways. Um, number one, something called the Acts prayer model. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Acts prayer model. Uh, adoration, praising him for who he is. Lord, I thank you for who you are. You are the God of the universe. Uh, confession, confessing our sin before him. Thanksgiving, thanking him for what he's done. And, and then supplication, asking him for the things according to this word. Now, you notice supplication is last in that model. It's a reason for that. We often go to the Lord just to ask him for things and not to adore him for who he is. So the Acts prayer model is, is just one great model that I use with my students and myself as well. Uh, uh, another, another good way to grow in prayer, praying God's word back to him. There, there's no better way to pray than to pray God's words back to him. The words that he breathed out. The words that he's given to us. I, I like to use the Psalms because they're already full of prayers from David. Uh, Psalm 86 is probably one of my favorites. So pray God's word back to him. Uh, pray for your prayer life. Y'all, one of, the, one of the greatest privileges that we have as praying is that we can pray for the things that we struggle to pray against. We, we can pray for the things. <laughs> we can pray for the actual prayer life that we have. So praying that the Lord will grant you more of an affection for prayer. The last thing you could do is remember Jesus' prayer life. The way that Jesus prayed is absolutely God in the flesh, praying to God the Father should be humbling for us. Jesus often withdrew, he withdrew to, to spend time with the Father. My, my, my wife said this, she says that Jesus' prayer life is an escape, not a rescue. It's an escape, not a rescue. Often we go to the Lord just to ask him some stuff and not just to be with him. That's my wife's word, so y'all give her all the, you know, the accolades she need to get. If the perfect son of God did this, why shouldn't we? New Direction, I ask you today, how is your prayer life this morning? Youth and, and young adults, do you even often pray? Do you pray to the Lord of the universe? When is the last time that your prayer life has been consistent? Ask yourself, has your prayer life been performative or persistent? Jesus didn't have a performative prayer life, and neither should we. Our private prayer life should reflect our public prayer life. We should pray earnestly with watchfulness and thanksgiving so that when it comes to pray for others, we can do so faithfully and consistently. Which brings me to my next point. Intercession initiates profession. Intercession is profession. Uh, he says this in verses 3 through 4. At the same time, 
Pray also for us that God may open a door for us, uh, for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. The Apostle Paul starts off this next verse with the phrase, at the same time, and then continues in asking for the church to pray on his and his ministers' behalf, or ministry partners' behalf. It's almost, as if, it's almost as if Paul is saying, and while you're at it, pray for me in the squad too. Pray, pray, pr- brothers and sisters, I think Paul is telling us that having a devoted life of prayer should make it easy to pray for others. He, he almost assumes that having a devoted life of prayer is having a prayer life that is not all about you. So, so what I gather from the first half of this verse is this. Intercessory prayer, praying on behalf of others, could be seen as a thermometer for a devoted life of prayer. How much you pray for others is usually the quickest indicator of your personal prayer life. I think it's also important to know that Paul isn't asking them to do something that he doesn't do himself. Uh, Check out the verses from Paul, uh, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 4. I I give thanks to God, uh, to my God, for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established firm in love may be able to comprehend all this, with all the saints with the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know that Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of of God. I mean, right here, Paul is kneeling on behalf of the saints. Here we go. Another one from Paul. Uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Uh, and last, Colossians 1, uh, verses 3 through 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's clear from these verses that Paul was devoted to praying for others. New direction. The question is, what takes up the majority of your prayer life? Are, are your prayers mostly about you? When you ask someone to, to you know, ask someone for prayer requests or, or, or when you tell someone that you're praying for them, do you actually do it? <laughs> Many times somebody, yeah, I'm praying for you, bro. I do not pray when I go back home. I, I'm just being real. And how much more, <laughs> how much more do we do this, you know, uh, uh, often? And so Paul continues in verse 3, going in verse 4, by telling the church to pray that God may grant an opportunity for him and his ministry partners to, to proclaim the name of Christ while in prison because he felt it was his responsibility to do so. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in these verses, but the first thing I want to highlight is the fact that Paul is asking this church to pray for ministry opportunities, you know, for, for what he's already been arrested for. Yet, he is not asking them to pray for him to be released from prison. Let's, let's stop right there. I don't think y'all understood the way to that. That's, that's insane to think about. Like, do, do you really understand what he's saying in these verses? Like, y'all don't front. If I, if I were a betting man, I'm not. But if I were, I said that you or I, if, if you or I were in Paul's position, unjustly in prison, getting treated harshly for the sake of Christ, after we've taken some time and complained to God about what we've been doing for him, if someone were to ask us for any prayer request, the first thing I bet we ask for is to be released from prison. Amen? Amen. And that's not a bad thing to pray for. I mean, it's actually fitting given the, you know, the circumstances. But, but no, Paul here is not asking for a prayer for the, for the opening of, of a physical door. Instead, he asked for a spiritual door to be opened for the sake of the mystery of Christ. 
Yo, that, that is incredible. Paul is making, he's asking for intercession so that his profession of Christ will lead to more professions of Christ. Paul is dedicated to the vision or the question, who will be the next you? You see, Paul always had in mind the question of who was going to be the next him, and he knew he needed the prayer saints to help it come to pass. New direction. We must continue to continue to intercede in prayer for the Lord to open doors. Christ, please don't grow weary of doing that. The Lord has opened a door for you to get a new building. That's because the prayer of the saints. Our prayers could very well be with the Lord using to open more doors here in Delaware with the goal of seeing more of Delaware profess the name of Christ. That is the goal. May we as a church continue to be encouraged by, by our intercession. But also may, may, may you guys as a church, if we as a church, big church, be spurred on even more to intercede for others for the sake of the gospel. I, I think it's important to note in verse 3, the word which Paul describes as the mystery of Christ is just another way to describe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the mystery of Christ, in, um, yeah, it could be described this, like, like this in these verses. Colossians 1, 26 through 27, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6, the mystery of Christ. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not to make known to, to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same bodies, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace and was given to me by the working of his power. Praise God, y'all, that the mystery of Christ is no longer a mystery to us. In the Old Testament, Christ was concealed. He was often talked about, alluded to, and was predicted to come for centuries. Now in the New Testament, Christ has been revealed and he has finally arrived. The saints of the Old Testament waited over all of their lives in anticipation for the coming of the Messiah, and now we have him. This truth alone, this truth alone should fuel us even more to tell others about him. It certainly was enough for Paul. Christ had been revealed to Paul in such a miraculous way on the road to Damascus, and in the road to Damascus. And from that point on, Paul made it his duty to share Christ with everyone that he had come in contact with. Brothers and sisters, do you share the same evangelistic zeal? Do you share the zeal to share the name of Jesus with everyone that you come across? If you are a Christian, Christ has been revealed to you by the grace of God. When Christ saved you, he removed the scales from your eyes so that you would know him and proclaim him. Has the revelation of Christ burdened you to the point that you have no choice but to share, you know, share with others who he is? For the rest of your life. When is the last time that you've professed your faith? When is, when is the last time that you shared your faith with someone? I, I know for me, uh, growing up, I was ashamed of the gospel. I, I was ashamed to, to be called church boy, whatever name they had for me. I did not want to be associated with Christianity because of that. And yet the Lord still chose to save me. And, and, and yet the Lord still had his hand upon me even when I was against him. So, so, so for the youth out there, if you guys are in the same position, the Lord still cares, and the Lord may be doing something in your heart right now. And with all that being said, if you're a Christian as a youth, 
Do not neglect to share your faith with your classmates or your friends. And it might not be seen as the cool thing to do, but, but we want to do godly things, not just cool things. We want to see people have eternal security and not be apart from the living God forever. That's more important than just being cool. That, that's for free. Um, when is the last time that you share your faith? Y'all, I, I think just kind of collectively as, as the body of Christ here in the U.S., um, I've I just been really convicted and kind of, yeah, just not dissatisfied with our lack of evangelism. I think we've become comfortable with having church on Sunday. I think Wednesday night Bible, you know, Wednesday night Bible study, uh, maybe even having a quiet time in the, in the beginning of the day. I think we've, we've made the Christian life just kind of uh, an easy thing to do. It's a part of our schedule. And we've lacked the zeal to share our faith with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with those around us. We've made Christianity, this is a commodity. Christianity isn't just a commodity. The Lord has saved you so that you may share the faith with others around you. And we as the church must do this better. We, we have some things to learn from the church in, in other nations. Other nations are taking this gospel and say, you know what, man, I've been saved. I want to share this with other people around me. We have a lot to learn from them in this season. So that's just for free again. I think another important thing that sticks out to me from these verses is that it seems as though Paul's circumstance does not excuse him from sharing Jesus. Paul makes it his mission to be mission-minded even in the confines of a cell. While you and I are in the comforts of our homes, our our nice offices, and yet we still neglect to talk about Jesus. Uh, We need to make it our duty to share about Jesus. Uh, People's eternities depend on it. So in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching. In season and out of season. We must always be ready to preach the gospel. So we go, what is your your reasons for not sharing about Jesus? Number one, laziness. Laziness. This has been one of mine too. You know, you say you're going to get to it, you never get to it. Just tired. Bro, I'm tired. You know, just work nine to five. Laziness has gotten in the way of sharing our I think another one is the case of the next times. Y'all know what I mean by that? The case of the next times. You see a brother, you're like, man, the Lord is really compelling me to talk to this brother. He might be right near, you know, right next to you on the train or whatever. And you're like, you know what? Next time I talk to him. And that next time becomes next time. And that next time becomes next time. And, and, and before you know it, you've never shared your faith with that person. The case of the next times might be a reason for us not sharing about Jesus to others. Workplace policies might be another one. Now, I want you to know that I am in full agreement to abide by workplace policies and, you know, submit to authority and all those good things. Uh, but there are ways that you could be creative in the workplace. There have been people, faithful Christians, who have done that for ages. You could take somebody out to breakfast, to lunch, to dinner. You have to be creative. If you really are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you could be creative for the sake of evangelism. So workplace policies are important. But the Lord is also the Lord over those policies as well. Uh, fear. Fear is just another one. I think we're all scared at times to share our faith with others. I mean, that's something real. Uh, but don't let fear control you. Uh, the Bible says that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but the, you know, the power of love and sound judgment. The Lord is the Lord over fear. And so, so, so submit your prayers to him and ask him to, for you to have strength and courage to share your faith. And then lastly, another reason for not sharing about Jesus is, is a lack of prayer. We don't pray enough for opportunities to share about him. That's not even included in our prayer life at times. And so uh, these are just a few reasons, but it might also be 
uh, it, it might also be that you don't feel confident in sharing. And if that's the case, consider starting testimony, walking through a book of the Bible with someone. Uh, there are also many kind of theological and, and apologetic books that, that you can use when you're sharing your faith with somebody. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to leave you all with two specific ways that I witnessed the Lord bringing people to himself. Uh, he tend to use his people who are faithful to go and people who are bathed in prayer. Faithful to go and bathed in prayer. Your, your, your intercession can lead to many professions of faith. Your intercession on behalf of others can lead to many professions of faith. I think, y'all, I think we ought to remind ourselves that there is only one who intercedes perfectly. One who intercedes perfectly at the right hand of God. One who's greater than Paul in his ministry. One, one who came to earth to intercede on our behalf. He lived the life perfectly, lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserve, was buried and resurrected, and now reigns at the right hand of the Father. And is still interceding on our behalf in prayer. The, the, the Lord Jesus himself is the one who intercedes perfectly. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you're sitting here like, man, this is all cool and all, but I'm not really feeling it. I urge you. I urge you, man. The life with Christ is the best life you can ever have. This is coming from someone who didn't believe that at one point. You, a life with Christ is the best life that you can ever have. I promise you that. I promise you that. I'm not selling you a lie. This isn't, man, if you get Christ, you'll get this big car or whatever. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about forgiveness of sin. Everybody knows that we've done something wrong to, to offend God. And we have to give an account for that. And, and Christ gave, you know, gave his life so that we can have uh, an eternity with him and forgiveness of sins. I urge you and beg you tonight, don't harden your heart. Or today, don't harden your heart. Give your life to the living Jesus. He's, you know, he's that much greater and if you're wrestling with identity in here, like if you're youth, I was. I, I thought, man, I need to be like the world or like my friends in order to be accepted. Christ accepts you just as you are. He, he wants you just as you are. In him, you find confidence and rest in an identity that's not about you. His identity is what you need to kind of cling on. And so that's all I want to say. I mean, for you all youth out here, I remember coming to a service like this when I was young and then somebody preached to me, man, Identity in Christ um, kind of is the best thing that you can have so that you don't have to be like other people. And I remember me being convicted of that. I've been living a life trying to please others. If you're living a life trying to please others today, I urge you that you don't have to do that. The only one that you have to please is the living God. That's all. Jesus Jesus continues to to intercede on our behalf so that we make it our duty to do the same. Our, Our intercession could be the very thing that leads to a door opening for the profession of Christ, which can later lead to someone's profession of faith. And this leads me to my last point. Evangelism is an embodied effort. Evangelism is an embodied effort. Verses 5 through 6, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. The Apostle Paul concludes this passage by exhorting the church to behave wisely amongst outsiders making the most of the time, as well as employing them to pay close attention to how they speak to others. Some scholars believe that there may have been some, some charges of misconduct that were being placed on the Colossian church at this time, hence Paul's exhortation. The, words, uh, the word outsiders here is just another word for unbelievers. And the phrase making most of the time here means to buy up an opportunity for oneself. 
So essentially, Paul is telling the church that they should be living their lives in such a way that allows for ample opportunities for the advancement of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I think that this means for us that we must constantly strive to live above reproach, live in in a holy way, remembering to be mindful of our gospel witness. The the moment that Christ saved us is the moment that our lives stop being about us. We we no longer get to do the things uh, the same way that we did them before. Being a Christian means that our entire life belongs to Christ, including the way that we act. Brothers and sisters, calling Jesus Lord should not be something that we just do as a formality. We we must truly live live as if Jesus really is the ruler of our lives. And I believe that we as a church uh, do a fantastic job at this. But what, what, what happens when we don't? What happens when our lives become a stumbling block for someone to know Christ? What happens when we live our lives with no regard to how others perceive us? Uh, these, are, these are things that, that can hinder our gospel witness. I, I'm just going to name a few. Uh, number one, choosing sin. Uh, living a life in sin hinders the way that you know, we live for Christ. It hinders the, uh, how attractive Christ could be for somebody else. So if, you, if you're, I mean, if you're a youth or anybody, if you're living, you know, just doing the same things according to the world, uh, how do you expect the somebody to see Christ as more holy and more valuable? They're going to be like, you're doing the same thing I'm doing. What you mean? Why do I need a savior? I'm telling you, choosing a life of sin hinders your gospel witness. Number two, losing our flavor. Matthew 5 says we ought to be the salt and the light of the earth. He says, you know, something along the lines of, man, you know, if the salt loses its taste, taste, how can it be effective? And so, man, if we're losing our flavor as believers, that can also hinder our gospel witness, our, our advancement of the gospel. We must, we must be unique to the world so that they may be attracted to the God of the universe. And I think lastly, something that can, you know, hinder our gospel witness is apathy for unbelievers. Some of us, or, you know, myself included, we often don't care about what others are doing. As long as I got mine, right? I got eternal security. I go to church on Sunday. I'm good. But what about those who are destined for hell? What about, what about those who have no hope? Why, why, why aren't we sharing the gospel on their behalf? On the flip, ways that we can strengthen our gospel witnesses, keeping our Christian liberties minor and not major. What, what I mean by that, Christian liberties, right? This Christian freedom that we have, right? And many times we use that as a justification to get right up against the line of sin and try to figure out, man, can I cross that line? Can I come back eat? That's not, that's not what Christian liberties are for. Christian liberties are, are, should be used so that you can live your life in, in, you know, in an enjoyable way in faith and, and to glorify God of the universe. Our, our Christian liberties aren't just for us to have fun. I mean, we can have fun, but it's not just for that. It's for the, to live to glorify the God of the universe. So our Christian liberties, things that we can do on our own time, should be minor, not major. And many times we use Christian liberties as an escape goat so that we can just do the things according to the world. We must keep our Christian liberties minor and not major. Number two, be mindful of what you post on social media. On social media, it can be a hindrance or, or it can strengthen uh, your gospel witness. Y'all, people are watching your Instagram, your Instagram story, your reels, everything. And so when you post, if you, if you call yourself a believer, they're going to look at you like, man, what you're posting is not what you're saying that you are. Y'all, social media... It uh, could be a great way to share your faith, but it also could be a destructive way that we can share our faith as well. Y'all, be mindful of what you post on social media. If you're on social media drinking and, you know, whatever you're doing on there, be mindful. Somebody's watching. Somebody is watching you. And this is for me, too. Somebody is watching me. 
Um, and so, yeah, be mindful what you post on social media. Uh, also be present. A, a way that we can strengthen our gospel witness is to be present. If we're, if we're present as we're thinking about others, as we're in conversation with others, y'all, I, I think when you're present and you're really listening to someone, that gives us ample opportunity to, to be able to strengthen our gospel witness. Brothers and sisters, again, we must share our faith like people's eternities depend on it. The reason that you're sitting here today is because someone took the time to share Jesus with you. Let's, let's all make the most of our time while we're alive on earth to be committed to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. A new direction. The truth is that people are watching our lives, especially those that don't believe in Christ. So, so and let us not forget that our actions alone are not enough to share our faith. Although our actions are an aspect of evangelism, we also must preach what we believe. Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes from the message about Christ. Y'all, it's not about just, you know, live your life in such a way that you kind of shines light on the gospel. That's great. But we also must say something with our mouths. The last thing that Paul says to the Colossian church in this passage is a reminder for them to be mindful of the way that they speak to unbelievers. So this means that not only should we watch our actions when it comes to evangelism, we must watch our speech as well. Uh, This tells me that evangelism is truly an embodied effort. All of our being, everything within us should, should go into our gospel witness. Again, he tells them to let their speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. The phrase seasoned with salt is said to remind us that salt is not only used to add flavor to something, salt is also used to prevent corruption, which means that our speech should be used to build up. As one theologian says, it should also be a purifying influence to those around us. Yo, y'all know, y'all, y'all didn't go into some places, you go into the, you know, whatever house or restaurant, and you taste something, you're like, man, this mug is not good. You know, it might be, you know, steak or something like that. But then, you go to a cookout, you know, you see Unc with the Unc slides on, and he got the spatula, and he going, he doing his thing. You're like, Unc, let me, let me get one rib. <laughs> let me get one rib. Bite into that thing. Man, you think heaven is in your mouth right there. And I'm saying all that to say, you can tell when something is seasoned with salt and when something is not. When something is seasoned with salt, it is great, and it tastes so good. New direction, how we speak to others matters when it comes to sharing about Jesus. May our speech be seasoned with salt. Listen to what James says about the tongue. With the tongue, we bless our Lord God and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Uh, Proverbs 15, 4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Ephesians 4, 29, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear also, the way that we speak behind closed doors to, to roommates, uh, to our wives, to our husbands, to children, co-workers, managers, teachers, and family should not be done in the same manner, um, should, should be done in the same manner as when we go to talk to someone about Jesus. We, we shouldn't be talking crazy at home and then in the next breath go try to tell somebody about Christ. Gracious and purifying speech isn't something that we should aim to turn on and off. So, so new direction, how is your speech today? Does your speech build up or tear down? Are, are we okay with talking to strangers 
in a more gentle and loving manner than those that are closest to us. Why, why, why should we speak this way? Paul says that so that we may, we may uh, know how to answer each person. There will be moments in evangelism, y'all, where you'll be resistance, slander, or cruelty. And that still doesn't give us the license to speak loosely. Even more so in those moments should our speech be seasoned with salt. I'm concluding. I'll conclude with this story. There was a guy that I was um, seeking to share the gospel with. Um, he, you know, went to Howard. He, he was Muslim, and he agreed to start meeting up with me. So we, we started meeting up, started talking, to thing, talking about things about the faith, got lunch, all that good stuff. And at some point, um, I came into the meeting ready to just give it to him. I'm like, yo, I'm just ready to like, just unleash <laughs> everything about the Bible, what I know, what I know that I can catch him up on. And after that meeting, he was like, bro, I just don't want to meet with you anymore. Like, you were, you were talking to me crazy, one, and I just didn't feel comfortable uh, in the space. And before that, he felt comfortable as a Muslim to meet up with a Christian. And so some time went by. And then last month or two months ago, uh, Brittany and I, I think, were sitting in church. And I got a text on my phone. And it's from this brother. He says, uh, Alex, I just want to reach out to you to say, man, I gave my life to Christ today. Thank you for all that you did. And so what I mean, what I mean by that, what I want to tell you is that even when your speech isn't seasoned with salt, the Lord still uses opportunities to share the gospel with others as it means to bring people to himself. Y'all, we must be faithful to the gospel mission because it could be it could be the very thing that saves brothers like the one I just told you about. So I'll ask you this once more. Who will be the next you? In order for our gospel witness to continue, my prayer is that our prayer life wouldn't be a performative one, that we would intercede on the behalf of others for opportunities for them to share the gospel, and that we would remember that evangelism is just not a mindless task, but involves our whole being, action and speech. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is breathed out by you. We thank you that your word... Um, it convicts, <laughs> your word encourages, and it's and it's profitable for all things, so that man may be equipped for every good work. And thank you that we are sanctified by your word, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, as a church body, Lord, that we be committed to prayer, that we be committed to sharing our faith, sharing about Jesus with others. May we not be comfortable with just living a, a kind of regimented Christian life, but may, may may our hearts be inclined to proclaim your truth and live for it. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.